It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us now as we look at your word. We, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to his people. We thank you for these awesome truths in this letter. We pray that you would help us to not just understand in the, in the intellectual sense what Paul is talking about here, but you would write it deep in our hearts, the freedom that Christ has won for us and what that means for us. Help us, Father, to, to stand firm in the gospel, in the, in the freedom that we have. Father, we need your help as we do that. We need your help right now as we look at your word. Please, by your spirit, give us hearts that are soft. Open our eyes. Help us see clearly the good news of the good news. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder what um, comes into your head when you hear that word freedom. Uh, maybe um, Mel Gibson, Braveheart. Freedom. Um, uh, I wonder also if, if, if there is a word that sums up what the world around prizes um, above all else. Freedom is it, isn't it? Culturally today, freedom. That's the kind of holy grail for our culture around. That's what everyone is looking for. This is what everyone values above everything else. Freedom to be who I want to be. Anything that gets in the way of that, anything that seems to be restricting that, gets cancelled, doesn't it? Um, I've been reading uh, uh, this book. Being the Bad Guys by um, Stephen McAlpine, available from all good book company, <laughs> book, bookshops. Um, and, uh, and at the start of his book, it's fascinating that he, he draws out how, how these concepts of freedom and joy, actually these are deeply Christian ideals and, and values and words. These are, these are gospel words, these are kingdom words that have been kind of appropriated by our culture around us. They're kingdom words, but King Jesus has been booted out of the way. So we have these concepts without King Jesus. King Jesus is replaced by me. Not me, but you get what I mean, you and I. <laughs> Where Jesus is, is the rightful king, Culturally, naturally, by our human nature, we say, shove off. I'm in charge. No to your ways. Now, freedom is, is a deeply rich gospel term. But it's also something that perhaps most people would not associate with church today as well. If you were to talk to your neighbours or your colleagues. Um, in fact, as, as kind of people think about the church as they think about Christians, perhaps the opposite of freedom is, is what comes into their heads as they, as they think about what goes on Sunday by Sunday and, and, uh, and how we live our lives. Well, this afternoon, I want us to reclaim this concept of freedom. 
what Paul has to say in Galatians and in, in the passage today about freedom is far greater than, than, than anything that our, our culture is, is looking for. I want us to see, as, as Paul sets out for us, that the true freedom that we're really longing for, that we're created for, is found in Christ alone, nowhere else. And I want us to see what he, he says about the nature of Christian freedom as well. And as we go through, we're going to see two commands from Paul from, from this section. Um, two commands which sum up what he's been saying in the, over the last few chapters of Galatians. Don't lose your freedom, is what he says to these Galatian uh, Christians. And don't abuse your freedom. So there are the two headings as we look at this um, passage before us. So first of all, don't lose your freedom. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now we're used to Paul saying some pretty breathtaking things in this letter so far. And here's another one. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now, Matthew will tell you that this is in the aorist tense, in the original Greek, being the, the Greek scholar that, that he is. Meaning what he's saying here, he, he's talking about a definitive moment that has happened in the past. Christ has set us free, full stop. It's, it's done, not by us or anyone else. But by Christ, Christ has set us free, a definitive act that's happened in the past. But what are we set free from? Well, let's think back on, on what he's been saying in, in, in the last couple of chapters. We're saved from sin, but not just from sin. We're saved from the law. More specifically, we're saved from the terrible burden the, the unending struggle of trying to keep the law as a way of being accepted by God so flick back to chapter three with me and look at verse 10 for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse as it is written cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law well have a look on to, to verse 23 of chapter 3. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. We are set free from the law, from the curse of the law, from the custody of the law, being imprisoned by the law, locked up by it. Christ has set us free from the guilt of our sin. Once and for all, he became a curse for us, taking our shame, taking our guilt, taking our punishment so that we could be free. And so he says, stand firm. That's one. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't lose your freedom. The image of, is of um, an ox struggling with a heavy yoke once it's plowed its field 
done its work, it's, it's freed and the yoke is taken off, the ox can stand up tall again. Once we were under the burden of the yoke of, of the law, but Christ has removed it from us. And he's saying to these Galatian Christians, you're in danger of slipping that yoke back on, slipping into thinking that we're only accepted by God by obeying the law, by keeping the rules. It's all about what we have to do. And specifically for this church at this time, for these Christians, the issue was of circumcision. Jewish false teachers were, were coming into the churches saying that it's not enough just to believe in Christ. If you want to be accepted by God, well, then you've got to be circumcised. And actually you've got to keep the law, the whole law. Did you notice the strength of what Paul said in response to those as you go through the package, he, the, the passage, he really doesn't pull his punches. Strong things that, that he has to say. Verse two, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Verse four, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. To add circumcision is to lose Christ, is what he's saying. To seek to be justified by keeping the law is to lose grace. Really strong words, vivid things that he's, he's saying to them. But do you see why he's making such a fuss? Well, just think about the logic of, of what, what's going on here, first of all. So we turn to Christ because we know that we're helpless and we cannot save ourselves. If we turn to circumcision, it's because we think we can save ourselves. Those two things are completely contradictory. They cannot both be true, logically. It just doesn't make sense. If our acceptance from God and eternal salvation, if, if, if that depends on, on our performance, on what we do, well, that's going to fill us with pride as we get puffed up, as we kind of look around and see, oh, I'm way better than so-and-so over there. Or it's going to fill us up with despair as we look at ourselves, as we look at those around us and we see how far short we fall and how we're nowhere near as good as that person over there. If it's all about our performance, what we have to do, we're going to be filled with pride or despair, probably more despair than pride, I'd imagine. But we're also going to be filled with a chronic insecurity. How will we know if we are good enough? How will we know whether we've done enough? How will we know if, if we're accepted or not by God? Well, if it's all about us and what we have to do, we can never know. 
whether we've done enough, whether we're good enough. Have a look at verse six. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. So here's the wonderful thing about the gospel. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Our performance, good or bad, doesn't count towards our acceptance before God. Perhaps some of us really need to, to, to hear that. Well, all of us need to, to hear this again and again. There is nothing that we can do to make God love us more than he does right now. There is nothing we can do to make him love us more than he does right now. There is nothing so terrible that we could do to make him love us any less than he does right now. Now, my kids' um, school, they have their star of the week every Friday. And uh, when uh, Barney or Rosie come home on a Friday and one of them has been made star of the week, um, if I was to ask them, do you think I love you more or less or the same because of how well you've done at school this week? I can remember the first time asking them that scene there. Cogs tick away. The same is what they said, and that's absolutely right. My love for them is not conditional on how well they did at school. We are accepted by God solely on the basis of what Christ has done for us. It's not about what we do. It's about what he has done definitively once for all on the cross at Calvary and it's that that changes everything we don't need to prove ourselves there's no place for pride or despair it's not about our record but it's about Christ's record this is the the, the freedom that we have in Christ. On uh, Friday morning, I was at um, the warm space on 92 Central Road, chatting with um, a lady who'd come in and uh, with Nigel. And um, he shared a brilliant illustration, which uh, gets the heart of what's going on here. So I'm going to pass that on to you now as well. So I want you to imagine you're at the bottom of a well. It's a deep well, and you've got, got down the bottom of this well by your own stupid fall. But you are stuck. There's no way you're getting out of this, this, this well by yourself. You're, you're, you're stuck at the bottom of this well. And I want you to imagine that people will come and uh, look down at you uh, on this well, and they are representing kind of different religions, different um, self-help gurus all, all, they, they see you at the bottom of the world they see you in your plight in your misery and they call down to you um, here's what you need to do to pull yourself up you just need to put, put your right hand here hold that brick and kind of say these words pray five times facing that way lift up it doesn't work maybe you get a little bit up but you just 
end up right down at the bottom of, of, the, of the well. Again, no help. Jesus comes along. He looks down. He sees you. He throws down a rope. And he tells you not to worry. And he comes down the rope to us at the bottom of the well. Because he knows that we can't even hold on to the rope by ourselves. He comes down to us at the bottom of the well. He scoops us up in his arms. He carries us up out of the well to safety, to freedom, to joy. Isn't that a great picture of the gospel isn't that a great picture of what's going on in galatians how should we respond to this what's the the kind of christian life um have a look at verse five for through the spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope Righteousness is, is a word that he's been using a lot in this, in this letter. He's been using it interchangeably with the word justified, especially in, in chapter two. So there's the, the idea of our right standing before God, of, of being perfect, of being in a right relationship with God. Through the spirit, we eagerly await the, the right relationship with God, the right perfection and, uh, and standing with, with God for, for which we hope. This is the, the Christian life. Through the Spirit, eagerly awaiting by faith this righteousness for which we hope. Now, this little word, hope, in the way that we use it commonly today in our, in, in, uh, in our English language, it can mean pretty much the same as a wish. So um, I hope it's not going to rain tomorrow. I, I hope that Tottenham will finish in the top four. In the Bible, especially in the New Testament, in Paul's writing, this little word hope is not used in that sort of wish sense at all. This little word hope speaks of a nailed on certainty. The Christian life then, through the spirit, by faith, trusting God to keep his promises, we eagerly await the nailed on certainty of the glorious eternal future that is, that, that is ours. Not because of anything that we've done, but because Christ has, has won it for us. He's done it. Notice we don't eagerly work for that. We don't eagerly strive for it. But we eagerly wait for it. It's not about what we have to do to try and earn it. It's all about what Christ has done for us. That's the, the freedom and hope that Christ has given us by his grace. And Paul says to, these, to those Christians, to us today, stand firm in it. Don't lose it. Don't slip into thinking that it's about what we have to do to try and get into God's good books. But through the Spirit, by faith, eagerly await 
for the hope that we have. That's the gospel. And that's why he has such strong words for the false teachers in verses 7 to 12. Really strong words. Have a look at verse 12. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. He says, you're so keen on circumcision. I wish you'd go even further with your snipping. Is what he's effectively saying to, to these guys. Uh, one of the commentators I was reading saying, saying, describes this. This is Paul roaring for the gospel, defending the gospel, protecting the Galatians because of what's at stake. He's roaring for the gospel. So his first command to them is, is to not lose their freedom. Secondly, he says, don't abuse your freedom. Don't abuse your freedom. Now, after all that Paul's been saying about the freedom that we have in Christ and our salvation not being about what we have to do to work our ways into God's good books, or, or, um, but, but about how it's all how we trust in Christ. The question that that raises is this. Well, does that mean we just have a license now to live how we like? You know, we, we can do whatever we want because Jesus will give it anyway. What is, is our relationship to God's law now? We've been saved from the law, but what? How, how does that work? Do we have a license to just live how we please? Well, verses 13 to 15, starting a, a, a new section. And uh, we'll be looking more at that um, next week. So I don't want to steal Sam's thunder now. But just I want to point out that what Paul says to us is, is that we're not to abuse the wonderful freedom that we have. Look at what he says in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Now, when he says flesh here, he's not meaning the kind of stuff that covers our skeletons, our bones. But it's shorthand for the kind of fallen human sinful nature. The flesh, whenever in the New Testament that word is used, that's what's in view. Fallen uh, human sinful nature where God's been rejected and where we've been replaced uh, in, in his place. As, as king, shove off God, I'm in charge, no to your ways, as we say it, explain with, with the kids. So Paul's saying, we have this glorious freedom, but we don't have this freedom just to indulge our kind of self-centered, fleshly lusts and desires. We were previously slaves to those things, but we've been set free from them. So don't indulge in them, he's saying but rather in Christ, through the spirit. We're not on our own as we fight our lusts and, and desires. Through the spirit, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, he says later on in verse 24. And in verse 16, again, we're not on our own as we battle against. We're set free from, from the power of the law, from the dominion of sin, we're, 
uh, our guilt is, is, is done. But as we, as we battle on, we have the spirit with us to help us. And so, verse 16, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Don't abuse your freedom, saying by indulging the flesh. Instead, we're to serve one another through love. That's the, the summary of the law, as Paul goes on to say in, uh, in verse 14. That's the, the fulfillment of the law, he says. So he's saying we're to use this freedom that we have to enslave ourselves to, to one another, to other people. And that's something that is hugely countercultural to the values of of, of our culture around us, where autonomy, where freedom, where my rights, what's best for me, that is king in, in our culture. That is what's most important today. But for the Christian, freed by Christ, we're to love and serve others first. We are, we are freed from sin, but not to sin, as John Stop says we're we're freed to look to the needs of others first i think about it in, in in these words if you imagine a relationship where you've got two people who are primarily focused on what they can get out of it this relationship this relationship i'm going to stick with it as long as it's good for me as long as it's working as long as i'm getting what i need out of it i'm going to keep going with this relationship actually that's not loving is it that's exploitative, that's abusive, that's toxic. Well, imagine a, a, a different relationship with two people who are constantly looking to the needs of the other first. Two people who, who don't need to prove themselves, who have been freed by Christ, set free. And who are able to, to look to the needs of the other first. How different that relationship is to that first one. Now imagine a whole community of people who've been set free by Christ. Looking to the needs of others first. Imagine being part of a community like that. Being part of it. That's the, the, the new humanity that Christ is, is forming and, and calling us to by his spirit. That's why he, 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 he died on the cross, to free us, it, to enable us to, to love in, in that way. So we are free in Christ. We're not to abuse our freedom. We're to, we're to, to live in a way that pleases him. Not because we think that's how we're going to be saved and accepted. But because we have been saved already. As he says in verse six, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's interesting as you kind of trace through Galatians, the link that he makes between faith and love and love organically flowing, overflowing out of our faith and our trust and our hope in Christ. Love flows out 
for him, for each other. Now, let me ask, uh, ask, ask this. Um, why do kids obey their parents? Um, there's a few options um, up, up on the screen there. Fear, we could say, because, uh, well, they know there'll be consequences if they don't. Duty, you could say. Um, it's the downside of being looked after, get free house and, and food. Just kind of, uh, yeah, got to do what we're told. Um, reward, maybe um, they can earn the stuff they really want by obeying. For example, everyone else seems to obey, so maybe I should do that as well. How different obeying, uh, motivated by love. When they know they're loved and accepted, when they know they want to, what makes you happy, and because they love you, they want to do what makes you happy. How different that is to fear, duty, reward, example. Well, I wonder this afternoon, which, which of those describes our relationship with our Father God today. But the, the hallmark of legalism, of a kind of works-based religion, is this. What's going on is, is that you are using God to get what you really want. Actually, that's not love. You're not worshipping God. You're worshipping yourself. God wants us to, to use the freedom. We are, we are set free. We are, are free. And so we're able to love him and love one another. And perhaps this afternoon, if we find our love for God running dry, running cold, could it be that the root of that lack of love is, is that we are not, by faith, looking into the hope that we have, looking at our great saviour, fixing our eyes on him, slipping into thinking it's all about what we have to do. Could that be at the root of our, our lack of love for God? Our faith in Christ gives us this, this certain hope that overflows into a, a love for him and a love for one another. If we find ourselves finding it difficult to, to love one another, to be motivated to, to do that, What's the solution? Well, again, it's to look at Christ, fix our eyes on him. Him who, who gives us an unlosable, unshakable acceptance from the Father. All because of his grace, his mercy, his initiative, all that he has done for us. As we gaze on, on the hope that we have and on our great saviour, 
the more we do that, the more, the more we find our hearts melted by his love and overflowing with, with his love in, in, into others. So let's pray for God's help to do that. Let's uh, take a moment of quiet to reflect and then I'll lead us in prayer. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released, I can sing I am free, yet not I but through Christ in me. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the amazing gift of grace in Jesus, our Redeemer. Thank you that there is no more for heaven now to give. Help us, Father, to, to hold fast, to stand firm, in the hope that we have in the gospel. Forgive us for when we slip into putting on the yoke of slavery again, thinking it's about what we contribute. Forgive us when we get puffed up with pride. Father, would you help us to stand firm, to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus. And by your spirit, Father, would you help us to battle sin? And would you cause your love to overflow out of our hearts into the lives of those you've put around us? Father, help us with how we need your spirit, how we need you. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen.